All right, thanks. Uh, I feel like we uh, switched. This is a new one again. That's the trigger handle. Do you see that, everybody? Yes. Really okay. So, how are we doing? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, uh, it's good to be back together with you two. Uh, I'm glad to be here. My name is Sid Druid. Uh, I'm the REF Campus Minister Reform University Fellowship. That's a Christian campus ministry that exists to serve the campus, but also you all, whoever you are, whoever you are. Um, and I say this every week, and I really do mean it. I would turn to that passage. Um, we're really glad you're here. Um, we're really glad. We don't want to be a ministry that only serves one kind of person. We want to have people from all sorts of different parts of campus, any scene on campus, any personal background, even people that are not sure exactly where they stand with Jesus. Um, we hope that you feel welcome, whether you feel convinced or unconvinced, whether you feel, um, whether you call yourself a believer or a spiritual skeptic, whether you just would feel uncomfortable with any of the above and would like to nestle in somewhere between. We're really glad you're here. Um, we're really glad you're taking the time, especially this time of the semester, to hang out with us and uh, to take the risk uh, to talk about a lot of proverbs. <laughs> um, so along those lines, this uh, semester in large group, we are looking at the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. And we are studying these together because, um, I've said this over and over again every week, but it still stands true, that they teach us how to process our lives. What I mean by that is that Proverbs and Psalms show us how to handle our emotions, how to make decisions, how to treat relationships, how to live more fully, more humanly and humanely, here and now, even. And so I've really decided to give up my giant, huge subtitle title and just say this. It's called Sorting Life, is what we're up to. And so we're talking about what, what does it look like to sort life. And the Psalms sort of taught us to do that through looking at how to pray our emotions back to God kind of gave us almost words uh, for us to say so that we could process our emotions. And the book of Proverbs teaches us to sort our lives by applying God's wisdom to different areas of our lives, decisions, relationships, and ourselves even. So that's what we've been up to. And we're like well into the second half, the second mini-series of the semester. It's pretty exciting. This is, this is a, I'm going to use a pretty fancy word, this is the penultimate large group. Uh, I know, guys. Watch out. It's Davidson. Um, so it was like, whatever. <laughs> SAT sophomore year. Nailed that one. Um, but basically, this is for some of my seniors in particular, this is their second to last one. Next week will be our last. Uh, so we're well on our way to the end of this semester, end of this mini-series. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs, and we've asked, what is wisdom, and how do we apply wisdom to our lives? What does it look like to apply God's wisdom um, to things like relationships? Issues like technology, decisions, alcohol, food, character, money, sex, work, and tonight we're talking about words. Um, so we're looking at what does it look like to connect God's wisdom to our everyday words. And we're looking at it through these two chapters. Uh, I'll say this briefly. I know that Proverbs feels like just like a, uh, a fortune cookie. Like you just have like one verse at a time, just kind of separate all over the place. Part of the reason I'm trying to give you chapters is there's thematic links throughout the chapter. Think of it like a necklace with different kinds of stones or jewels on it. There's going to be thematic connections through all of them. So 15 and 16 are a lot about words as well as, well as other things. Um, so would you pray for me and for me uh, as we talk about Proverbs 15 and 16? 
Father, uh, I need to confess I'm all over the place, and I'm sure a lot of these students are, and I pray that you would settle our hearts and settle our minds. Um, it's just a privilege to be here. I missed this. Um, it feels like it's been a long time in a lot of ways. And I pray that you would use this time, that you would show up. All of us, whether we know it or not, are hungry and thirsty. And um, I pray that you would slake our thirst and feed our hunger. I pray that you would show us even what we're hungry for, or perhaps that you would show us how good you are, uh, that you open the mouths of your creatures and satisfy. I pray, Father, that you would help Jesus to be the center of our thoughts and our minds, even as, we talk, as I talk. I just pray that you would help him to be high enough to know that he, meet, he would be more, not me, he would be more believable and beautiful to the eyes of our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. So um, back when I still had cable television, uh, when I was single and uh, I thought I could handle the privilege of that many channels to flip through, I've been told otherwise since I got married, um, which is true. I used to watch this show on VH1 called Driven. It's, it's a very old show, probably very few of you have heard of it. But basically, this Driven was sort of like a documentary. And there's a documentary each week and it would tell the story of a celebrity um, usually in the music business, and kind of how the story of how that person became a celebrity. So it have all this like kind of archive footage, like family home videos, music videos, and it would be kind of spliced with different sort of interviews with family members, friends, and kind of coworkers in that profession. Okay, and and I think I watched this over a couple of seasons. Um, <laughs> relatively dedicated to driven, uh, but. At first, I would say, basically, I long to be like the celebrity. I think, actually, deep inside, if you asked me if I would not have said that, but I definitely like had something, I was like, that's really cool. And I really kind of admired their drive, the drivenness at first. Uh, but over time, I began to realize, like, as I watched all these different documentaries, some people from like Madonna to Kanye West, from like Dave Matthews to even like Jennifer Garner, they were all driven by something. They were pushed to flee hometowns, fight tooth and nail for fame. They, they were this kind of internal push that they all had came from this emotional mix of like ambition and fear, glory and shame. And it came actually, if you kind of trace it down in most of their lives, from the power of words in their life. People had said things to them that they were defying or fulfilling. So as you can see, almost every celebrity in this show, but I think in general I could make the case, was driven to seek fame and hear praise. So although he was never featured on the show, Driven, sadly, uh, I remember reading an interview with the Hall of Fame NFL quarterback, Brett Favre. Okay, again, a little vintage. He was 40 years old at the time. He was on his third team, but he was unable to retire. Have you seen these professional athletes where they go too long? Even though he's a legend, he couldn't give it up. In this extended interview, Favre admitted for the first time that even after three NFL MVP awards, he was the top of his profession. He always played every single Sunday to prove himself to his dad. He wanted to make his dad bigger proud. Bigger. In the words of Favre, bigger was all about supreme effort and no excuses. His dad and high school football coach, bigger, never told him ever how proud of him he was. He never actually said he loved him. And so Brett Favre, to this day, continues to feel, again, this is his own words, only as good as his last pass. 
and it feels as good as this last pass. And so Fargo, midst of played from this lingering insecurity, even at 40 years old, even after three NFL MVP awards, and even maybe especially with his dad's death. So here's my question. Maybe you feel that way about Davis. Maybe that's where you are. You're only as good as your last one. Only as good as your last grade. Only as good as your last club. Only as good as your last conversation. But it isn't just like the words or the absence of words from parents that have power. Another celebrity in another interview that I read, Mariah Carey, of all people, at the height of her career, this was in the early 20s, she had more number one music hits, more number one records than anyone except Elvis and the Beatles in the history of America. Pretty surprising. Maybe not for you guys. But the time it was. And this interviewer asked Mariah Carey, what do you have left to accomplish? I don't know what the interview is expecting, but Mariah Carey, in a moment of unguarded honesty, said one word, happiness. You see, Mariah Carey still hadn't accomplished, she still hadn't found happiness. And so the interviewer asked, why don't you have happiness? How could you not be happy, right? You have so much success, you have so much money, you have so much applause, you have everything that everybody wants, why aren't you happy? And without even having to pause to think, she had thought about this question a lot. Mariah Carey confessed she could hear a thousand words of praise and then just one word of criticism, and that one word of criticism would overrule the thousand words of praise. And it would wreck her, and it would smother her happiness. Again, I have to ask this. Does this feel like your experience? Does this feel like my experience? Look, the day is filled with lots of compliments, lots of spoken and unspoken compliments. Are they overruled by a single bad moment? Are they overruled by a single criticism that goes on, voiced or stuck in the silence? And this is really why these kind of ideas, these stories, is why the, the book of Proverbs speaks more about words than any other topic second to wisdom. There are 150 mentions of words, the topic of words, in 915 verses. Okay, so it is majoring in words. Okay, well, at least double majoring with wisdom. Okay, so that's basically listen to the con listen to the way that all, all the verses in Proverbs. We can go through all of them. We can go through every chapter, but basically listen to the way that they describe human speech and they assume and explicitly state that there's a power of words. Here are a few from our passage. Our passages. A gentle tongue, that's a healing tongue, is the tree of life, but perverseness in speech breaks the spirit. And gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to soul and health to body. Or a worthless man's speech is like a scorching fire. That's from Proverbs 15, 4, 16, 24, and 16, 27. Okay, and these are just a few of the possible references I could gone into, right? Remember, there are 047 left. I'll spare us all that. And let's just keep moving, okay? So look, whether it's like your life, my life, whether it's the life of celebrities, Brett Favre, Mariah Carey, speaking and hearing of words can have this like sweet power for flourishing for us, okay? It can really be life-giving, a balm, sweet as honey from the honeycomb. Or words can have a scorching power of destruction. 
It can destroy our relationships, it can destroy our emotions, it can destroy ourselves. And therefore, Proverbs chapter 15 and 16, uh, again, as well as the rest of the book of Proverbs, these chapters tell us why we need to listen to words wisely, how we can speak words wisely, and that the word became flesh has changed the very way we speak and listen. Okay? That was confusing. It's on your handout. That's the outline we're going to use. Okay? So those pieces, those three descriptions of the way that Proverbs understands our words, grounded in the sordid verses from these two chapters, are the basis of our working out. Okay? We're going to look first at why we need to listen wisely to words. Why is it important to listen wisely to words? Okay, second, we're going to look at how we can speak words wisely. And then third, we're going to look at this idea that, that the word became flesh has changed the very way that we speak in this. So we're going to begin with listening wisely to others' words. Okay? If you look with the, at the passage of the handout with me, you can take a look and we'll start talking about it. So you notice I said wisely, and that highlights something I've said before more than once up here talking about Proverbs, right? There are specific questions, like the realm of listening and speaking, we cannot answer with absolute clarity. They don't have absolute obvious rights and wrongs, blacks and whites. There aren't easy answers to some of these questions. And so often skills like listening, for instance, are in the gray areas of real life. And they require wisdom. And I'm going to give you my little, again, like thumbnail sketch of what wisdom is. Okay, we discussed this a few weeks ago. The book of Proverbs describes wisdom as the art of skillful living or the skill at the art of living. Okay? Again, I'm going to quote Timmy K., Tim, Tim Keller, <laughs> writer and pastor extraordinaire. Again, wisdom is seeing how things really work, how things really are, and what to do about it. How things really work, how things really are, and what to do about it. It's knowing what to do when to do it, how to do it, and why to do it. That's what wisdom is, kind of in a nutshell, okay? It's the adverbs of life. You want to think of it that way. But despite all the challenges about wisdom, we do need to listen wisely. Because the heard word, these heard words, have this huge, powerful effect on our lives, right? And I'm going to say this, like, you see this, again, I'm not going to go back through the stories, but you see this in Brett Favre's life, you see this in Mariah Carey's life, you know, Brett, Brett Favre's able to actually sort of trace the insecurity that comes from an absence of affirmation from his dad. Mariah Carey's actually able to pinpoint the misery that comes from a single criticism. And our lives actually have a very similar power of words in them if we look closely. For instance, our very lives, our very existence depends on two people saying in public two words. I do. Okay, most of us have that experience. And some of us carry the weight of divorce. These same two parents saying, in public, perhaps in writing, I can't. And we can know a lot about a person just when we meet them in 10 minutes by just thinking about the way that they use words. What words they repeat over and over again. What words he leaves out. What words she chooses to describe other people's lives. Are they a fan of nice or sweet? Okay. Are they a fan of great person, good people? Are they, are they a fan of describing themselves as lucky or stressed? We can figure out just from the word choice alone how people operate. And then our personal histories tell us. All you got to think about is elementary school and middle school, right? 
Can someone tell me how to, how to negotiate seventh grade well? I still looking for that answer. But look, we know this. That we we heard this, and we know it's not true that sticks and stones break bones, but names never hurt us. We know it's just actually that sticks and stones break bones, and names extremely hurt. Us. Okay. <laughs> no child. I, I mean, I think we kind of because we had no other choice. I'd have these little rhymes, right? No, you can't say you know I'm rubber and you're glue, right? What you say bounces off of me and sticks to you, in, in all honesty. Okay, <laughs> that doesn't really work. Like if it didn't bounce off of me, it's stuck to me. And if I'm lucky, it's stuck to you too. Okay, that's kind of the reality of words. Simply put, like words have the power to wound and the power to heal. Again, I'm not going to read the verses we read already, verses four, uh, chapter fifteen, or verse twenty-four and twenty-seven, chapter sixteen. But let's look at a couple of the proverbs that talk about this. Proverbs fifteen, verse one. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a hard word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15, verse 23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. And so we start to see the power of words over our emotional state. Joy or anger to someone else's words. Proverbs 15, verse 32 expands the scope of power words to our whole sides. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Okay. And finally, we see how hearing certain words changes our relationships and society itself. Okay, Proverbs 16, verses 28 through 29. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor leads him in a way that is not But why? Like, why do you think, why do I think, why is Proverbs so certain that these words have such a profound impact on our lives? Why does someone else's snap judgment make or break it? Seems like a lot of power for someone else to possess, right? Or why does the silent treatment actually work? Like, on paper, that looks absurd. Someone's going to turn their back and cross their arms and not face me or talk to me? That looks dumb on paper, but in real life, it's miserable. It's misery-inducing. Jesus in his temptation tells us actually why this is the case, why those things work. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Matthew 4, verse 4. And again, the theologian, St. Augustine, picks up on this idea, and he actually sort of expands it. He says he suspects that there's this hunger for outside words, or words hurt, and that actually comes from the fact that we are made in the image of God. And he kind of starts to imagine the Godhead. The Godhead is this perfect community of Father and Son and Spirit, and they're constantly and joyfully glorifying and praising each other in a chorus of triune praise, validating and affirming each other over and over and over and over again. In other words, theologically, we're made in the image of that community of the Godhead. That three and one, we are made to hear and to respond to words we hear all of the time. It's in our very nature of how we're made. We're made to relate, and we're made for the highest level of communication. We're made to hear from God himself, to participate in that verbal give and take that is called eternal life, but also to hear from other people made in his image. And this leads me to ask the question, who are we listening to? 
And why are we listening to them? And how are we listening? Okay? Proverbs 15, 28 and 16, 20 put the question this way. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. What those Proverbs are saying is essentially, are we pausing to listen? Are we pausing to actually hear and think about what's being said? Like, are we kind of like going, whoa, whoa, whoa what just came in? I, here's my story. This maybe isn't you. But, like, I sometimes feel like the Google search engine. You know, like, I have a very sensitive autofill. <laughs> like, someone starts to speak, and I start to assume immediately what they're going to say. <laughs> right? Just like Google, you type a letter, and all of a sudden you've got a search engine. And, or sometimes, maybe worse, I feel like a text message autocorrects. <laughs> You know, something starts to be typed, and all of a sudden it submits a text, a word for us to say. And so I'm likely to supply my likely word or phrase you're about to say next. But like Google and text messages, you can metaphorically get into a lot of trouble in the conversation. Right? I, can, I can put in the wrong, I can go down the wrong web page, I can end up on a worldwide rabbit hole. And I, I can just go off on that whole thing. Or I can sometimes actually fill the gaps of someone else speaking to me in ways they don't mean like autocorrect style. You kind of get the metaphor. We need to pause, take it in, think about what's being said, and listen. Are we listening to and ruminating in the word that the Lord gives us? What he meant, the word capital W, when he said, I do, to the church, his people. Are we listening to God's names for us and not other people's names? Are we listening to his validation, his affirmations over us? Which Zephaniah chapter 3 says he's saying lullaby style over us. And he's doing that even now. More on that last thought later. All right. But really, better listening and more thinking, this skill is just one practical application of how we can actually speak our words more wisely. Okay, that's point two on your, on your outline. So in addition to like the context of like the give and take of listening and giving thought or pondering, I'd actually like to be very practical and give you like an extremely practical like three headers for wise speech. Okay, we're gonna talk about what words to speak. We're gonna talk about when to speak them and to whom to speak them to. Okay, so so we'll do what words to speak, when to speak, and to whom we speak them. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Correct that grammar. Don't worry about that. All right, so to make this even more practicable, I'm actually going to try to apply this way of speaking to like two kind of scenarios. The roommate who just won't listen, because you've never had that person. Okay, or the difficult family member, because again, no one has that person either. So when we consider this, let's consider what words we can say. I think we need to think about the content of our speech as well as the style of our speech. Okay, so let's start with the content of our speech. Proverbs 15, verse 7, urges us to be truthful in our content of speech. Our words can and should accurately reflect reality. That's what truthful means. Our, can, our words should accurately reflect reality. It says it this way. The lips of the wise spread knowledge. Knowledge about the way things are. While Proverbs 16, verses 28 through 29, remind us of the alternative. Again, we've read these before. Our words can actually conceal what's real, and therefore ultimately lead to destroyed relationships. A dishonest man spreads strife, right? And a whisperer 
separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that's not good. And so I'm going to try to make this really practical. According to these verses, we can conceal reality in three ways. Okay? We can conceal reality by dishonest deception. Okay? The half-truth. Uh, the quarter-truth. The no-truth. Okay? We can break down relational trust. And that leads, of course, when we start to lie to people, that leads to a barrier being put up. Fighting, quarreling, distrust. Okay, it leads to strife. Or we can we can not reflect reality by being a whispering gossip. Okay, and that's what the whisperers do when they separate close friends. That's about gossip. It's about saying something behind his back that you would never say to his face. Right? But then there's also this idea of enticing flattery. When the man of violence entices his neighbor, this is saying something to her face that he would never say behind her back. That's flattery. Okay? And so all these ways are ways of talking that are not truthful, and they are motivated by fear. At the end of the day, we lie because we are afraid. We are afraid of other people's opinions of us, and we are afraid of not getting our way in the world. Either or or both things. So, we're getting practical. Your roommate keeps terrible hours. Okay, you're, you're not in the apartments yet. Um, you know, the light is on, the common room light's on all the time. Okay, like you're trying to bunk, that light's on. They go, don't go to bed, they go to bed after you, and they have an 8.30 and they hit their snooze 12 times, and they sleep through those every single, every single Monday Wednesday Friday. Okay, <laughs> they eat your, eat your food the night before breakfast so that you don't have breakfast consistently on a nightly and daily basis. So here's the question. What would it look like to actually not talk behind your back? What would it look like to not complain to your friends about the things that you've never brought up with your roommate directly? Or what would it look like to speak the truth to him, not trying to get your way by like sort of minimizing your frustration, playing it off like it's no big deal? Or maybe what would it look like to be honest about your own hours? My own hours, okay. What would it look like to be honest about your in the room sink habits, just like they're in the room sink habits? Because no one keeps a clean sink in the room, okay. It's just the way it is. It's a lot of pressure on that one little sink. So, I can tell you from personal experience, like this conversation goes about as well as uh, your style of speech, okay. So, the way in which you couch these terms, the way in which you have it, how you say what you say becomes very important to the success of the conversation. And Proverbs grounds this experience by telling us the tongue of the wise commends, that is, treats excellently knowledge, chapter 15, verse 2. And the heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips, chapter 16, verse 23. And then, like, by the way, that might seem similar to flattery or enticement that we just talked about Proverbs condemning. But in reality, it's what the rest of the Bible calls speaking truth and love, right? Some of us are really good at the truth part. We're what Ken Sandy calls peace breakers. We're not peacemakers, we're peace breakers. Okay? We go into a room, we love conflict. Conflict is the spice of life. And like out of indifference or irritation, what do we do? We break the peace. Okay? We give truth without love. That's just the opposite error of flattery and enticement. Because flattery and enticement are what Ken Sandy calls peace faking. Again, not peacemaking, peace faking. And what that is, is speaking in love without truth. That's somebody who out of fear says whatever will appease the situation. 
Okay, we're called to do both. We're called to do both robustly. And Proverbs calls us to a gentle or healing tongue, chapter 15, verse 4, to a soft answer, not a harsh word that stirs up in anger, 15.1. Our words are to be gracious or pleasant. Words that are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. These are firm but kind and gentle, calm words. And by the way, these are so effective over time. You have no idea. Over time, this kind of patience breaks down callous resistance. Again, the words of Proverbs 25, 15, with patience, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue will break a bone. I love that line. A soft tongue will break a bone. If you're looking for Proverbs 25, 15, it's not there. That's for free. Enjoy. Okay. Um, so not only do we not only do we persuade in a loving tone and patient gentleness, patient patient gentleness. Okay, we also persuade by letting our words be few. It actually helps to speak less. I could learn that. Okay. The fear, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out speech. Proverbs fifteen verse twenty. So we actually lovingly and kindly sit down with a hypercritical family member. Okay? We try to approach him or her from a position of understanding and the perspective of a long-haul relationship. And we actually pray to let go of self-importance. We pray to say only what's needed to be said. That's part of what Proverbs is helping us to handle. And again, along these stylistic considerations, it's important to add timing and occasion. Confronting a roommate, say, is important in those situations. Hey, think about it. If you do this in public, it's not going to go very well. Don't do it at one of the big comments tables, okay? If you, if you don't have time to have the conversation, it's going to go poorly. Okay, don't do this in passing in the way to chambers. If you, and also don't do it when you're not in emotional and mental places where you can hear hard things. Because, again, it's not going to go very well. Listen to the way that Proverbs 15, verse 23 puts it. Asks us to consider this when we speak. To make an apt or fitting answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season. How good it is! How good it is! So, and then, so we talked about style and content and timing, and now let's talk a little bit about audience. To whom are we speaking? Okay, uh, whether it's the difficult family member or the stubborn roommate, we've got to assess with wisdom. This is the hardest part of the judgment call. This is the most wisdom part the character of the person we're talking to. Proverbs makes a big deal about the character of the person we're talking to. Does this person have a repeated pattern of harm with a very standard objective? For instance, is he or she repeatedly shaming you, repeatedly mocking your vulnerabilities every time you show vulnerability? How does he or she react to your feedback or disagreement? Is that person just acting foolish, or is that person an actual this is the last question straight from chapter 15 and 16, okay? Look at me there, and you'll see these define a fool over against the wise this way. A fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever hears reproof, or ever heeds reproof, is prudent. 15.5. A scoffer or a fool does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 15.12. Here's the thing. The fool is defined by his or her inability to receive Appreciate and seek out reproof. They're not looking for negative feedback. Okay, they're not looking for what we call constructive criticism. 
We don't call it reproof anymore. We call it constructive criticism. Okay? They're not looking for that. Fools despise instruction as well. They don't have the humility or teachability to take it in. Therefore, Proverbs 16, verse 22, goes as far as to say this. The instruction of fools is folly. Okay. What is this suggesting? This is very something that we don't talk a lot about, but it's super important. Okay? It's suggesting that our speech towards others changes depending on the character of the person we're talking to. Okay? That's because our love, the way we love someone, changes based on our audience. Okay? Now, there's some fundamentals that never change, but there's stylistic differences that do, even content differences. So along these lines, Proverbs is defining various human characters. Right? We've got the fool and the wise, the evil and the righteous, the simple and the sluggard, each to love uniquely. And so you have to ask yourself, for instance, you will give somebody love by giving positive and feedback, and that positive or negative feedback will work well if someone's just acting foolishly. However, if your roommate, for instance, is a fool, feedback will only feed his or her anger, self-centeredness, and arrogance. And rather, you're actually called to expose the fool's folly by exposing that person to the natural consequences of slipping through the alarm every day, or by the tender hope for change and strong boundaries about what's appropriate, what they're responsible to you for, and what you're responsible to them for. Okay? So we're talking, we're getting past, like, this isn't just love and happiness and cocktails and buddies. Love, is, love has some real wisdom to it, and Proverbs is not afraid to go there. I'm happy to talk about that more. I wish I could spend more time. But at this point, point three, we're wrapping it up. You're still tuning in at this point. You're probably feeling absolutely exhausted if you're anywhere remotely honest. Okay? Look, to listen to speak wisely that way is intense. It's prolonged. It's overly careful business, right? And we are going to fail at that a lot. We have failed it a lot of times. Okay? Look, here's how self-conscious this is. Right even now delivering this sermon, all I can do is tell you how immensely difficult it is for me. Okay? I use words for a living. This is like the only tool in my utility belt. Words. Okay? Like, as a father, as a friend, as a son, as a husband. But also think about this for a moment. Like, I have no visuals. There's no props up here. Okay? There's no graphics up here. All I have is words. Okay? All I have is words. My ability to speak here and now and the rest of my job depends on my ability to use words. Well, not to mention that sometimes I'm under the suspicion that I might be the fool in Proverbs. Just FYI. All right, right now maybe I'm under suspicion. Okay, so look, I'm going to continue my stream of consciousness confessions. Okay, <laughs> ready? <laughs> uh, I'm also very tempted to break this sermon down into like easily digestible how-to steps about communication. Okay, um, like a speaking and listening checklist. Okay, and I know that, but here's my thing. I know that my self-effort, my willpower, although Davidson tested and approved, okay, circa 2003, just isn't enough. Because you see, our trouble is actually not with the words. It's heart deep. And this is what gets even scarier before it gets better. Look at the way that Proverbs 15 and 16 connect, 16 connect the state of our hearts, that is the center of ourselves, the epicenter of desiring, to our words. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious. 
the heart of the wise makes the speech. You get Proverbs 16, verse 23. Again, the heart makes the speech. In the words of Jesus, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 34. So we lie because we're afraid at a heart level. We're harsh with people because we're irritated at a harsh level, a heart level. We, we say too much or too little because our hearts feel weightless or invisible. Does that make sense? It's at a heart level. But changing our own hearts is actually harder than changing our words and changing our listening behaviors. And this is why wisdom is relational. At the end of the day, wisdom is about a relationship. Jesus has to heal our hearts in relationship. He has come to us physically to heal us from the inside out spiritually at a heart level. Okay? That's just actually what Jesus did. And here's what's so beautiful. Sometimes I think we think the Bible's part of the Trinity. But Jesus didn't just send us a letter. He didn't just send us a black and white paper and ink word to wish us that we feel better this side of heaven. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Jesus. Okay. Feel better, slugger. You know, whatever. Okay. He actually, God came down in our flesh, in our blood. He came for a visit. He sat by our bedside. He held our weary hands in all their pain, in all their dignity, in all their sadness, in all their ecstasy over our existence. The word who was with God. And the word who was God, the word became flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and full of truth. And Jesus' friend John goes on to tell us that people said of this word, this Jesus, no one has ever spoken like this man. He was always truthful, always loving, always gentle, always patient, always apt, always knowing to whom he spoke and what love called for with that person at that time in that place. Amazing. But he's not just some example, because this same perfect word actually died under God's cosmic silent treatment. That's why he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he got no answer. He died in silence. But he endures this so that we might get the words that his father says over him throughout his lifetime. As his brothers and sisters, we get to hear this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my child, beloved child, with whom I am well pleased. <laughs> That's the exchange. He gets the silence. He's the static. We get the validation, the affirmation that Brett Favre and Mariah Carey and all the rest of us living for, and for some of us dying in the absence of long for. Okay? And this message, this cosmic verdict over our lives is so very important to God. That God, the Spirit, actually carved in our hearts these precious words. As if to say this, stop. Listen to my words. You're only as good as Jesus' supreme effort. No excuses. I love you all the way down to your foolishness where the criticism's cut and the happiness gasps. I know I'm going right at the edge here. Can I do one illustration? I'm done. It's beautiful. It's worth it. I promise you, you won't ask the five minutes back. 
Okay, there are two songwriters, Jason Gray and Andy Gullivorn, who I'm fairly certain were never on the show driven. Well, it's positive. Okay, and they aren't competing for, with the Beatles for number one records, but they wrote this really beautiful song that talks about the lengths that the word will go to to come to us, the lengths that he did go to to come to the one he loves. And the song goes like this, and I wish I could play it, but I can't. At the end of this rundown tenement hall is the room of a girl I know. She cowers behind all the deadbolt locks, afraid of the outside world. So how should I come to the one I love? Oh, find a way. Many thieves and collectors have used that door, but they've only brought her shame. So she won't even open anymore. Still, I find a way. I could call out her name with love through the walls, but condemnation is all she hears. I could break down the door and take her into my arms, but she might die from the fear. So how should I come to the one I love? I will find a way. I will find a way. No hiding place ever kept her safe, so she hides inside herself. Now to reach her heart, the only way is to hide in there as well. I will hide in there as well. She gave up on love, waiting for a change, but a change is coming soon. Because how could she not love the helpless babe who is waking in her womb? I found a way. She'll know I'm coming before I'm here. When she hangs her head, she'll see me there. And then when I come, she won't turn away. All the beauty and the joy will return to her face. And what of the loneliness? Now it's gone. Lost in the bond of the mother and son. Every sin that she suffered at the hands of men. Every single disgrace will be washed clean again. I will love her completely, and when I'm grown, I will carry her out of that tenement. I'm doing a new thing. Soon you will see. I'm coming among you, and my name shall be. Father, thank you so much for the students. Their time, but I also just really pray that we see you barging down the doors, that we see your relentless pursuit of us, that our hearts don't have locks enough, that our bodies can't escape you. I pray that you will.